Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An Internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show and watch your life grow. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Show, and I've got a wonderful guest with me today. Her name is Holly Kinley. She is an incredible uh, family therapist, a marriage and family therapist, I might add. Uh, she's been in the game for quite some time. She is a um, an incredible author. She's uh, authored, oh gosh, over four, five books. Her latest book uh, is Another Way, which is, in my opinion, one of the most brilliantly uh, produced ways of um, uh, helping uh, young people as well as parents uh, in this day and age. She wrote a fiction book versus just uh, another kind of clinical or self-help book and this fiction book really does some incredible healing. Holly, how are you today? Philippe, thank you for having me, and I am well and so looking forward to having our conversation. Absolutely. Well, let's start with, um, go back a little bit with me, because I know that every therapist, um, especially people who, de- who dedicate their lives to going into this industry, has a larger story than just going into the industry. <laughs> <laughs> It's not just one of those things where you run up to mom and dad and say, hey, mom and dad, when I grow up, guess what I'm going to do? You, 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 you obviously went through something and saw uh, where you could make a difference in people's lives. Oh, yes, I, I did, and that's so true, Philippe. Um, yes, I, I first started out um, as a teacher, and I loved doing that, middle, middle and high school, as an English teacher. Mm-hmm. However, in... In my younger years, I, I struggled with a with an issue which back then was called PMS, premenstrual syndrome, mm-hmm. and was later later class, classified as PMDD. But from that experience, um, while I was teaching, I started leading some lay support groups. Um, actually, it was through our our church at the time, and I wanted to just empower women and educate the educate them and and help them with this with this issue. And I did that for about three years, mm-hmm. and at the end of that, I, I just had a craving for wanting to be able to help it, all individuals, families and children and individuals. And so I went back to school and got went to graduate school, got my degree in psychology and then my license as a marriage and family therapist. So um, it was that initial experience leading those lay groups that then catapulted me into the field of uh, marriage and family therapy because I, I wanted to be able to help on, on a broader scale. Absolutely. Well, you know, who better uh, than you to uh, teach and help and lead um, uh, women uh, than a woman with this issue? Because guess what? You know, I don't, I don't know if women are comfortable going to guys talking about this issue. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if the uh, husband family therapist uh, would be the right choice uh, to go to in dealing with this, uh, but... 
<laughs> you kind of have a niche that is unto your own, that is uniquely your own story uh, by by the uh, act of divine gender. So what happened? Uh, <laughs> so what? So what transpired? Where you know you could have easily said, you know what, I'm 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 doing the work that I, I'm put here to do. I'm doing great work. I'm helping a lot of people. Uh, but you know what? I really would like to expand my reach, and and you decided to write a book. What was that first book? The first book was it was a book on PMS, and it was called the PMS Puzzle: uh, Letting God Put the Pieces in Their Place. And at the time, I love that. That's an incredible title. <laughs> Thank you. At the time, Philippe, this was in the early '90s, and even though there were some good really good lay books out on the subject matter and because I researched it, you know, and I had done my own healing and all of that. And there was there were mm-hmm. a ton of really good, really good clinical books out there um, in the lay field. But what I was finding is in, in the, especially in the circle that I was very active in at the time, and it was more of a faith-based circle, is that there was there were so many misconceptions about that disorder. I mean, just really strange stuff out there. So, um, in leading those groups, I was actually writing the book at the time, you know, getting feedback from women and, and, and just helping them and, and collecting more, you know, sound and solid medical as well as, as um, personal advice in the book. And so it was, it was meant, again, to reach out to a larger audience and inform women about the truth about premenstrual syndrome and that they weren't going crazy and that they weren't demon possessed or whatever the weird, you know, um, explanation was that they mm-hmm. were being confronted with at the time. So um, that that experience was phenomenal. And um, I mean, there was a long gap between that book and my second one, um, just because I had to go back to graduate school and a lot of other stuff and life was happening. Sure. But I just I just remember that the the power of the written word and and how you can reach so many people and help so many people that way and so it, it greatly impacted me um, in, in being an author in, in this work as well. When you um, decided to when, uh, after graduate school, you know, you decided to make your to, to produce your your uh, next book. What was that? The the next book was breaking through betrayal. And recovering the peace within. Ooh, um, I like that one. It, it's it, when I when I got all done with my license and and it, but you have to put in you know three thousand hours of internship. But during my internship and then later as a therapist, I honed my skills around the areas of abuse and trauma. Okay. And um, from that, of course, the word betrayal came into the room, I mean, all the time. But what I noticed, Philippe, was that not only did it come in the room when I was working with victims of abuse and trauma and that kind of thing, but, of course, all kinds of betrayal, and especially when the economy turned later in mm-hmm. the you know mm-hmm. in the big recession and all of that, I had mm-hmm. you know successful businessmen and women coming in saying, "I feel so betrayed by this and that." So mm-hmm. that just it, that book um, is it, it is uh, very very important to me. It's it's an outreach to and a program of healing from all kinds of betrayal, because usually people think about infidelity when they think sure, about betrayal. Sure, sure. 
So um, that book is very close. So to this my is heart. really a, so this book is really about not just about uh, infidelity. It's a, you know it, it will probably go into uh, the the betrayal of oneself, sabotaging one's own life, um, maybe feeling a, abandoned from uh, society because of uh, economic turns and issues, doing everything right, and you still end up losing. Yes, it it covers all kinds of betrayal. The only betrayal that um, is not specifically addressed in there, which but I address this in my next book, the Mountain Air book, is uh, self betrayal, which is what I how I define or explain relapse. I, I believe that relapse mm. in general is is an issue of self betrayal. So just oh, I to like that. That's that. fascinating. I didn't think about that. You're probably right because you were the expert. Yeah. I'll help that. <laughs> yeah. So any type of relapse, any type of therapy or anything that you're positively doing, whether you're let's just, you know, be general and say, hey, you know, you're working out. Right? You start yeah. a health and fitness program and you fall off the wagon. That would be self betrayal. It is. I I I just spoke on this topic at, at the state conference in California of marriage and family therapists and just about a week ago and the way I I define relapse is it's any where you fall back, regress into or return to any kind of unhealthy pattern of behaving, thinking or feeling mm. after, after having a period of wellness. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's a universal experience. It's one of shared suffering. Um, those individuals that do work, uh, struggle with relapse and addiction and substance issues, that, that is very important. I want those individuals to know you're not alone. They're, they're, mm-hmm. it's, and that's part of the message is that we all experience relapse. Most of us do in some way, shape, or form. And we usually don't talk about it, though, Philippe, because it's so surrounded in shame. Mm-hmm. Sure, and, of course. You know, it's embarrassing. You, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you don't want to talk about it. It's you've been doing well, and then you fall back into this unhealthy behavior or thinking mm-hmm. or feeling. So, yeah, I think that's a super important topic. And actually, when we come out with a second edition of the Breaking to Betrayal book, I'm going to include um, a section in there on that. So um, I think it's doesn't get a lot of attention, and it's really important. Well, I can't wait to have you back on the show because uh, I want to do, I would like to take that particular topic and have you on my live video show and talk about that because I think that is a huge issue that literally speaks to every single human being from 8 to 80. I mean, you know, (laughs) from, you know, everywhere in the world, that is something everyone can relate to. Well, uh, you know, tragically and, and sadly, that's what I have found at the same yeah. time. Just as I talked about it at, at the conference a little over a week ago, the reason I do get excited when I talk about relapse, because somebody asked me that was, Holly, why do you get so excited when you talk about it? And I said, because it's an opportunity for self-discovery mm-hmm. to, find, to find out what worked, what didn't work. And and so much more, which we can I know talk about when when we're on again together. But <laughs> absolutely. Now you also talk about um, being empowered. You talk you use the terms discover, define, and determine one's own worth or value uh, in your work. Talk to me about that aspect because a lot of people don't even know that they have a a, a low sense of self worth 
which is why they don't achieve certain aspects or areas of success uh, in their lives, whether that's relationship-wise, whether that might be a, a, a self-image or body image goal or even a financial goal. Oh, yes. Uh, we're now kind of talking about the core of another way, which thank you, Philippe, for bringing this in, because I believe that worth is just hugely underrated in our discussions, in our conversations, Mm -hmm. and that most of us navigate from a position of not being in touch with our worth. And that's that's natural. That that's kind of normal. We just it doesn't come up to our consciousness because it is an abstract thing, it's an emotion. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really you know, I mean think about it. It doesn't really show up until we're either either feeling really good about ourselves or we're not feeling good about ourselves. So mm-hmm. it is an abstract concept and it's fluid in nature. However, you know, and I, I have Rick the one of the main the youth pastor in another way he says in chapter three until you know and understand your worth and trust in it your choices will never truly be yours mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now you're talking about <coughs> for the people listening you're talking about rick uh who uh is a, a fictional character uh who's a pastor in the book uh it's kind of based around was it is it three friends i think chloe's kind of like the central uh, person in the in the, in the uh, in the uh, novel, uh, and she is uh, having a lot of issues uh, at her young age or preteen age of what to do, what not to do, and kind of finding her self worth. Walk us through some of the character. Walk us through the 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 characters, uh, and then talk about how they meet this incredible uh, 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 pastor, this minister, who just kind of gives them directions throughout various different points and stages in their lives, I think it's brilliant. Oh, thank you, Philippe. (laughs) Okay, I'll try to keep this short. I I do want the listening audience to hear that although the characters are fictional in another way, is that being a teacher, middle school and high school teacher for almost 30 years, all the conversations in another way are based on real-life conversations I had with kids. Absolutely. I figured as much when I read it. It was like, what? Wait a minute, I was here, I remember this story, well how did she know? (laughs) So I I, I want them to hear that because the messages come through, of course through Rick, the the youth leader, the youth pastor, but from the characters themselves. And so the, the three main characters, well the main character is Chloe. She's going to be a freshman in high school, she has a pretty good sense of self and a pretty strong uh, self-worth and self-respect, but like most young girls her age, um, she has a lot of questions. She has not had a serious boyfriend, and so she's got a lot of questions about that and about a lot of changes that are going to happen in high school, and she's searching for answers. Her best friend, Amanda Hill, is would be the secondary character, and she um, is kind of in the same place as of Chloe, although she doesn't feel as good about herself. Her self-worth is, is kind of not as strong, and lots of reasons for that, which you know, can, readers can find out when they read the book, mm-hmm. and, and she's becomes very quickly involved with a young man, Blair Stevens, when they start um, in high school. So she's kind of taking a different path, getting involved very quickly, very intimately with with her boyfriend. And then the other character is Tyrell Fields, who is a junior, um, a star on the football team, um, single mom, raised by his grandmother and his mom, and has had some struggles in his life. And in eighth grade, uh, met up with this 
youth pastor, Rick Summers, who has become like his mentor and guiding him and, and helping him redirect his course in life. And there's more to that than I just said, but I'm trying to keep it short. Sure, well, sure. Rick, in wanting to reach out to the youth in his entire community at his non-denominational church, he starts leading a series of discussions, of classes, of lessons based around this program called Another Way. And in this program, the, the high school kids that attend are not preached to, they're not lectured to, they are invited into this conversation, into this discussion on how and why you would even want to discover your worth, find out what's important to you, how and why you would want to determine it. In other words, find out, okay, if this is important to me, then how do I know it's important to me and how am I going to invest into it? And then thirdly, to determine it and that's what am I if now that I know what's important to me how am I going to act upon that and how am I going to protect that and keep that secure mm-hmm. so it's it's within all those lessons that Chloe Amanda Tyrell and all the other kids that attend this youth group and all their different life experiences learn the power of their worth and make decisions on their unique personal levels of readiness Mm, and not like and not on what everybody else is doing. Mhm. Mhm. I like that a lot. Now, as we're talking about self-worth, <clears throat> this book uh and the process of you producing this book started uh, what over 20 years ago, you said. And you yeah. had a rejection. Remember that? Uh, you told me that and you had a rejection letter. Talk about oh, self-worth, yeah. right? Walk oh. me through that story. You had a rejection letter of this book. And oh, I- Talk to me about that and how your self-worth is kind of somewhat challenged. And then you say, oh, wait a minute, hold on here. I, I'm, 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 I'm Holly Kendrick. What the hell? Come on. <laughs> um, well, I first the first manuscript for this book was, was written 20 years ago. And it was because my daughter was getting ready to turn 15, getting ready to go into high school. And I was as concerned about the issues of then as I am today, but probably today even more so, uh, because of the technology and all the access to whatever you want to get access to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so I wrote this this book and this manuscript, and I, oh, Philippe, I sent it out to over 20 publishers and wow. was rejected over and over and over again. And um, so I, I, I was getting ready to enter graduate school, and so I, I just put it away. Didn't show up again until 2009. Um, the computer was long gone. All the disks long gone. Uh, of course, that's 20 years ago. Mm. Uh, but I was helping my sister move, and, and she stumbled across a copy of the manuscript. My my older sister, and she asked me if I wanted it, and I said, "Oh my gosh, you know, yeah." So I, I took she had a hard I took the hard copy, and I. That was in 2009. I didn't have a chance to look at it until 2013. I was writing other books and doing other things. And uh, when I read it, I just knew that for me, where I am now with my background in psychology and just where I am, am in life in, in general, I it was my goal to do three things. One, to rewrite it and to make it inclusive. Mm-hmm. I, I, w- I wanted readers to be invited into this conversation w- with Rick and the other students. I know that judgment doesn't work, condemnation doesn't work. That turns kids off 
so mm-hmm. quickly. So, mm-hmm. I again, inclusive. I wanted it to have compassion with accountability, but personal accountability, not my putting my accountability on them, but they're discovering their own worth and accountability. And the second, the third thing, of course, was to make it relevant. I mean, so much has changed in 20 years, so I I needed to make it, you know, relevant with texting and uh, all the other things going on. So um, that it was just it was at the right time and i was in the in the right place and i've been thinking a lot about worth given my other work and the other areas that i i work in and write in and and in my work as a therapist so it just kind of it came together at the right time mhm mhm <laughs> you know we're talking about then and now you know 20 years um you know is a long time is a is a huge gap especially in the gap of technology because these kids today are born into a world that we, you know, would consider to be the Jetsons uh, when we were coming up, when we were that age. Uh, and there's a whole new issue uh, of, of things that happen to, that are happening right now to kids uh, that when you and I were growing up, you know, we just had the, uh, maybe one or two bullies, you know, in the class. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, you might fight it out or at the end of the school year, you might fight it out or whatever with the bully or whatever. You didn't have to worry about much. <clears throat> you know, you tell your mom, you tell your dad, you tell their parents, you talk to the principal and everything is great. Well, today, <clears throat> people can bully you across the other, from, from on the other side of the world. Yes, yes. One of the things that um, I, and it's another whole reason why I wrote another way, is because I. And you have a book that you wrote called Cyberbullying No More. Yes, I, I do. So I've spent a, a lot of time studying that issue, writing about it, and speaking about it. And it's also why I included at the end of Another Way, Philippe, the section for parents on offering another way. It's called Offering Another Way to Parent, to Parents, because what, what we're talking about here is, and it just, it breaks my heart when I think about our, our youth today, is that there's a concept that I put out there that the degree of access or exposure to or consumption of anything is a predictor to the degree of consequence, either positive or negative. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the point of that is, is and what we're saying is that today our youth and, and adults as well, our, our degree of access and exposure and consumption of or to anything is just right at our fingertips. It's just immediately there. And yet what we don't do as parents and guardians where I feel like, well, I feel like we fall short in our preparation of, for our youth. We, we put, we place them in situation and circumstances, whether it's putting a piece of technology in their hand or allowing them to um, go out into the environment into uh, whatever the situ- socially charged situation might be, and we fall short in preparing them to handle what they're going to be consuming, being exposed to, or what they're going to be accessing. And and it's really, really, you know, it's the, the, with the technology, it's escalated so rapidly, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and yet our parenting tools and strategies are, are not, 
up to the same level mm-hmm. as, mm-hmm. as the mm-hmm. as the exposure and access and consumption. So, with a heavy heart, I, you know, my publisher and I debated about that last section uh, to the parents, and I and I just and he's so Victor Volkman is so supportive of my work, and I said, Victor, you know, with I, I want parents to pick this book up too. I, they must pick it up because they need to have this conversation with their kids, an ongoing conversation, dialogue about it, because it's not just about sex in another way. It's about all the social behaviors and how to better prepare our kids. And so by including those other pieces in the appendix that I want adults and guardians to pick this up, that the best way to have a conversation with our kids is to use a book, is to talk about a movie, is to watch a TV show that Mm -hmm. may even be a bit on the edge, but then talk about the characters and how they handled situations. And so I hope and with every piece of my being that as many adults will pick this up as as the the youth will if not more because we have got to step it up one thing and, that i remember that that we had a conversation about which blew me away and, and that is you told me that the, the brain uh in particular i think you said the prefrontal cortex doesn't fully develop until you're 26 Correct. And, yeah, that's crazy to me because I'm saying, oh, my God, I, I, I was crazy for a long time then. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but I want to talk about the impact of, of the developing brain uh, and what you consider to be the digital footprint or profile uh, of, of our, of our uh, young people uh, and the consequences to their self-worth as it relates to that. How do they begin – to build it back if they find themselves uh, in a uh, digital bullying crisis. Okay, gosh. The, uh, see, I think I heard about three questions there. Yep, that's how I roll. That's how I roll. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> so we're talking about prefrontal cortex, basically, six, and we're talking about uh, digital footprint and the consequences of your ad self-worth. Okay. okay, all righty, I will do that. Okay, um, first, I, no, and it's so important, Philippe, that you brought that up, and and it, I did include that in the section for the the parents uh, offering another way to parent. But just to say this is that this is what I mean by we, we're we're kind of setting our kids up for failure. We're not preparing them because we know from the literature it is. It is so well-researched, and I've even got in my bibliography for another way, I cited a couple of the the studies on brain research. We know that um, prior to previous studies and and, and knowledge that the young person's brain does not fully develop the prefrontal cortex until about age 25, 26. Mm -hmm. That's the part of the brain that controls logic and reason. The part of the brain that develops first and most quickly is the, the subcortical part of the brain, which which controls emotion, feeling, and response to reward. So when we say to our tweens, adolescents, and teens, you know, you can go to that party where there's drinking and drugs and who knows what else and just say no, we yeah. are we are setting them up for complete and total failure because mm-hmm. not only that develop, brain developmental piece is not there, but they respond to reward. And also, of course, they're, they're vulnerable and they're impressionable and they want to fit in. They want to be cool. They want to do what's fun. They want to belong. They want to be liked and loved. So they're not 
they don't even have access to that rational logic part of their brain to make a decision like that. I mean, it, it's great advice, but it, it, it doesn't prepare them to, it, it's, it would, it's just like parenting a, a two-year-old from a block away. It, it, wow. it doesn't make any sense. So it's really important that, that parents and guardians understand that. And, and when, as a teacher, Philippe, when we would have Red Ribbon Week, which was the week, the one week during the year where we talked about drug use, I mean, it, it was literally a joke. Because, in fact, I knew that the kids, especially in high school, used that week to use more drugs just because it was mm. such a joke. So we're we're not doing we're we're not paying them a service by giving them ultimatums, just saying, you know, don't do this, don't do that. We have to do the hard work. I say to parents so many times, Philippe, is that we've got to do the hard work up front so we don't live with a heartache in the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I know it doesn't always work, but it but more times than not, it does if we prepare them. So the second thing is that, again, this feeds right into as far as their digital footprint. If we don't prepare them on how, and I talk about this in the Cyberbullying No More book, I give them steps and tools for protection, intervention, and prevention. But going back to just what we're saying, if we don't pre, I say to parents, don't ever put a piece of technology into your child's hands, whether it's a cell phone, iPad, lap doesn't, laptop, doesn't matter, until you have prepared them on how to use it, until you've taught them about the, the safety measures, the areas of danger, just like you would your, you do the same thing with your net neighborhood that you would do with your real-life neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. individuals go out, young people go out, and as you alluded to, Philly, they, they put, have a cyber footprint out there or a digital footprint that isn't all flattering. It's not becoming. It's going, you know, we know that it's going to come back to haunt them or hurt them or they're involved in different activities such as sexting and things on with their technology. Mm-hmm. And, and the consequences are so painful and they're so damaging. And, and so again, we have to do a better job as mentors, as adults, as guardians, as youth leaders to, in, in preparing our youth for navigating in those worlds that we allow them to go into. Thirdly, if I can make it to your third question, is that... Sure, absolutely. And, and, and Philippe, I know you, you're familiar, you've read Another Way, and, and this is why I, I put this in there. Chapter 7 is called Finding Another Way Back. Mm-hmm. Hey, we all make mistakes. We all go have bumps and detours in our lives. And I worked with so many youth, especially not only as a teacher but a therapist, who have horrific issues of abuse and trauma and injuries and injustices. And I know, I believe me, I know it's a rough road back, but there is another way back. And that's why I titled Chapter 7 that way. There are tools there. There are characters there who have lived through these injuries and injustices. And you'll hear their voices because one of the keys to finding another way back is we know when somebody else has experienced it. And if they could do it, you can do it also. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the tools are there. The lessons are there. But I think most importantly, Philippe, the compassionate voice of Rick and of the characters is there that invites them into the story and invites them into the conversation and shows them how to get their way back. 
Um, you know, the work you do <clears throat> is absolutely incredible because the books that you've written, and especially another way, is so succinct <clears throat> and has such a flow. And it, it, it feels as if you're in the room with you, or with me, you know, talking to me at the, at the same time. It's like I'm, I'm like, I'm getting like, you know, free therapy. I like I want to send you money or something because I'm getting all of this free therapy. And, you know, Holly is just, you know, here with me right now helping me. And it's amazing because. So, so what I want to do is shift gears for just a second, and that is we've been kind of talking about, you know, uh, tweens and kids and, and young adults. Uh, let's talk from a parent perspective because parents, uh, you know, that, that have uh, teens, tweens, and young adults um, are probably bipolar, manic, depressive, schizophrenic. I mean, they're just absolutely insane because they, some of them just don't know how to connect uh, with their child. Can you give us some uh, parents some hints and some clues of how they can begin this conversation uh, to connect and reconnect with their children? Oh, I, I would love to do that. And, you know, Philippe, I also want to mention that on on my website, there are free downloads on uh, there's a tab for another way, and 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 if they click another way, they'll see a section for parent, youth, parents and guardians, and then youth leaders. And I, I spent all summer long last summer developing conversation starters and tools and strategies for parents. So I know with our with our time today, I you know we don't have a lot of time, but I just want them to know there is so much free stuff there around everything that we're talking about right now to, you know, how to begin and, and how to have that conversation and, and just lots and lots of, of, of tools and techniques. I think the, the number one thing that I would say, and, and of course I, I want people to, to pick up another way, mm-hmm. it, but, but in, in, in it, at the end in the appendix, is that I have a whole series of uh, book club questions. And... Mm. They're not just frivolous questions like, you know, what character did you like? It, these are the questions from a therapist, from me, from a therapeutic viewpoint that if a parent picks up the book and you get a copy for your, your kids and you set a time and say, okay, let's for next, next week read chapter one and, you know, parents are going to work on the questions, parent or guardian and the kids. And, and, oh, by the way, this is about age 11 on up. I mean, you could maybe be a little bit younger, but I'd certainly want the parents to read another way first. Mm-hmm, but of course. I specifically set those questions up for to start the conversation. And, again, because they're geared around the characters that you're not asking your kids point blank, are you doing this? Have you been involved in that? You're, you're talking about Chloe. You're talking about Amanda, and the situation. Well, you're not. You're not sounding blaming and authoritative. Exactly. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then the other thing I would say, okay, aside from using the book club questions and and scheduling times to do this and to talk about it, is that I would be. Philippe, we're not real good listeners as parents. Sometimes we don't. We're not listening to our kids we're too afraid what they're going to say and then we want to jump in and so just be a really good listener let them drive the conversation let them share the other thing that i think is really important philippe i just want to get this out there is that and i know i felt this way about my daughter when she was growing up and i had been married before and 
with to her dad and and my husband now we've been married almost 30 years and he he raised her from about age four but I knew there was going to come a point in time in her life where she was going to ask me some hard questions mm-hmm. and I think what happens is that parents feel oh what if what if my kid asks me this or asks me that what am I going to say and I say this I think this is on my my website in some of the material but I wanted to say it now is I believe in telling our kids the truth. I, I don't think holding secrets is, is a healthy way to go. However, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do think it needs to be age-appropriate and what they can handle. So what I would say to my daughter, well, I did sit her down and when, when I felt she was ready and we did start to have a conversation. Um, she was starting to hear a few things, and I said to her two things. I said, Alexis, one, I want you to hear from me what what happened and and the ins and outs of of it. I want you to hear it from me. I don't want you to hear rumors. However, number two, I will share with you what I can at the time. And when you're older, I will share more. When I think you're old enough to to hear what I need to share or want, to share what you're ready to hear. Mm -hmm. However, in the meantime, if anyone comes to you and says anything that hurts you or upsets you or you have questions about, I want you to come to me. So what I'm saying to parents is, please don't be afraid of that. You know, it, if you hide it, if you are not open and honest age appropriately, it can come back to haunt you. And kids see us as hypocrites as well. They can mm-hmm. see right through mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that holds some parents back. And um, I just wanted to put that out there that I, I get that. And that is a great point. Um how can people get in contact with you? What are your uh, Facebook's web addresses and all of that good stuff? Okay. Um, the the easiest way, well, I, is on my, my web is uh, on my website, www.holly, and that's with an I, dot, uh, hollykenley.com, or holly at hollykenley.com um, is my web mail, although they can, my mail is on my website. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm, you know, I'm all over the... <laughs> She's, so, so, she's everywhere, people. She's getting ready to get even larger than I. Um, what I what I what I love about uh, about your work is that you know this is as I'm hearing you as I've had a conversation with you and this is something that you live and breathe every single day, mm. 24 hours, and uh, it's not a switch that you turn off like a nine to five. You really care uh, about people uh, and about helping people uh, uh, move into that. <clears throat> level of enlightenment and self-worth. <clears throat> when we were talking before, we were kind of joking about, you know, when we were kids coming up, we used to get happy just, you know, being able to go outside and play in the dirt. You know, it was just, oh, my God, we could just play out there with our friends or even with ourselves, and it was fantastic. Today, however, mm-hmm. kids seem to have this sense of entitlement that, uh, we never really had, <clears throat> never had time to have, I don't think, but I don't even know if we we contemplated it. Where did this come from? How do you deal with it now? <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is uh, another, it was a, it's an important question, Philippe, and it's, it's one that, that both troubles me and also, um, it also motivates me to continue to do what I do because I think 
Philippe, is, I remember we talked about this, as you said last time, it's not only happening with, with youth, but I, but I see it happening with uh, adults as well. And, and I just want to put that out there because mm-hmm. I, I, I do believe, and I, and I do a lot of speaking, as, as we've already alluded to, on, on cyberbullying and bullying and, and on technology itself. And I've done a lot of research on, on technology and its impact and its influence on on all of us as human beings and it it's a whole longer discussion but but to say it this way and 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 I think it's it's really really important is that the more that we are really driven by what we call um indirect communication and that would be through technology where we are not in face to face communication is that there and this is really well researched by Albert Bandura and other um, social learning psychologists and theorists, is that we are becoming more detached, more disconnected, and more disinhibited, meaning our behaviors, emotional and physical and psychological behaviors are becoming more disinhibited, means we, we are free to do things without being watched or supervised. And and so along with that comes a disregard for an, other human beings. Mm-hmm. So again, we have this disconnection, the, this detachment, this disinhib- disinhibition, and that leads to a disregard for one another. So when you think about it, if if we don't have a regard for the for the spirit, for the empathy, for the of, of another human being, for the condition of another human being, then what the reverse of that is that the focus becomes more self, mm-hmm. more self-focused, mm-hmm. more, more inward. So uh, I I'm very concerned, and like I said, but and also motivated to because I of course with our youth they're they're now we have at least a couple of generations that have grown up on technology and mm-hmm. I want to put out there I love technology you do I do we have we have to use it and you know you know something else Philippe I just was thinking about before our our talk um kind of over the weekend because I mean look look at how important to you and to me numbers have become mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how many likes how many uh, followers how many connections how Isn't many tweets yeah, sure. yeah. And, and that's defining our worth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are days where I just have to sit back and get a pulse on myself and say, you know what, Holly, even though you don't have thousands of Twitter followers, your what your work is important. This is Absolutely. what I, I do. Absolutely. What I do. And and so we we wonder why our youth are being driven by external sources. Sure. It's it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's because. The external <laughs> messages tell them that that's what's important. See, this is very powerful what you're saying because guess what? I mean, of course, our frontal lobes are developed. <laughs> We're over the age of 26, so I can only imagine what that would feel like. Yes. As a young, as a as a teenager or a young adult, how disorienting that can be. Yes, Philippe, we went out into the backyard and built a tent, and that made us feel good. No doubt, absolutely. If a young person goes on to Facebook and doesn't have, you know, 50 likes to their post, that individual doesn't feel good. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So we have some work to do oh, uh, in, in, recon- in reconnecting um, yeah. ourselves to ourselves and to our kids and then subsequently each other. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Philippe, this would be a whole <laughs> a whole show in and of itself. <laughs> well, it's going to be, I think. Yeah. Why don't we do this? Because we're at the end of this one. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. I want you to come back on the show, and I'm going to have you back on, but I want to have you on our live uh, uh, Google Hangout on air, uh, and uh, we're going to have you on there. We're going to talk. Uh, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off, backtrack a little bit to bring it up to, to speed for those who are just tuning in to you and finding out about you and your work for the first time. But uh, we really want to get into this whole aspect of, one, the self-betrayal, self, self-betrayal and self-worth. Uh, two big, huge issues I really like to flush out. And then as we move forward, we can get into some of the uh, 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 sub-issues of those issues that, that uh, uh, you know, literally change and shape our perception of life. Yes. Oh, Philippe, that sounds wonderful, and I look forward to it. And we will be giving out some, you know, hopeful and healing uh, strategies as well. I, I, I know some of this can be kind of heavy and, and overwhelming, but it's I'm, I'm into empower, empowerment and giving our audience um, the tools to create change in their lives. So we'll be sure that we do that as well. Absolutely. I appreciate you, Holly, so much. Thank you, Philippe. All right, my dear, thanks for being on. Have a phenomenal day. Have a phenomenal rest of the week. And we will see you next time uh, live uh, on the Philippe Matthews Show. Sounds good. Thanks so much. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye.